CPA and CFP Don Cash has made it his life's work to help people like you plan their finances and achieve their retirement goals. It's time for your money and your life. It's time for another edition of the podcast, Your Money and Your Life. And we're going to go into a two-parter on year-end planning with Don Cash. As always, if you need some help, make sure you reach out to Don, who is a qualified professional, or reach out to a qualified professional, period, before you take any action on something you hear on our show or any others. But certainly, Don is here to help you at donaldcash.com. That is donaldcash.com. And as I said, we're going to do a two-parter here in November as the year is winding down for a little year-end planning uh, strategy conversation, I suppose. So uh, I know it's only, I guess we're about, what, eight days or nine days into November here at the time we're taping this first one. and But Christmas lights are starting to pop up around my area and shopping malls and all that kind of stuff. And they try to skip over my favorite holiday of Thanksgiving, and I'm not happy about that. But uh, we're going to get into this conversation. Don, what's going on, my friend? How you doing this week? Yeah, I can't believe it really is that time of year, right? You talked about Thanksgiving and mm-hmm. Christmas. And from a financial standpoint, it's time for year-end planning. But it seems like we go right from autumn leaves and uh, the trick or treat with the kids last week, right to Christmas season, and we kind of just jump right over Thanksgiving, which is only two weeks away. I will not let that happen. I love me some Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> I have my eating pants and everything, right? So uh, my stretchy pants and everything. Any any plans for the holiday season? You know, at some point we are going to be going away. Like I think I mentioned to you before, we uh, got on the air for a long weekend. Yeah. Which, of course, means the risk of travel delays and cancellations on flights. So, oh, yeah. Uh, always concerned about that. But I was reminded of our, our last conversation we talked about on scams and ID theft, right, mm-hmm. a few weeks ago? Yeah. When I read an article um, recently about a new threat that was in a recent Wall Street Journal article. And here was the title. They, I love when they make these scary titles. It was, Online Scammers Are Waiting to Exploit Your Travel Woes. Oh, geez. I can probably guess what it's about, but uh, fill us in. Okay, this one is, I think we should all be mindful of when traveling, and especially telling our family members as well. Mm-hmm. I think particularly younger people would fall for this. But often when we face travel delays right, or cancellations in the past, we try to call up some customer service number and put on hold like for hours and hours sometimes, like indefinitely. Now, apparently, airlines are responding to people on social media sites, right? Like Twitter or Facebook. Uh-huh. So if a traveler posts on their social media that they're in need of uh, change of travel plans, they, they post it on their social media and the airlines respond with like a link for help. And airlines, I didn't know this, but they have employees that monitor social media sites looking to help people who are in need of customer service. Okay, I'm going to regret asking this because on the one hand, I can see this being (laughs) helpful, but on the other hand, I can also see this being a problem. So what's the actual issue? All right, here's the problem. The response on Facebook or Twitter, it may not be the actual (laughs) airline. Figured, yep, yep. Yep. But the scammer is looking to get your personal information. So, you know, many of them ask for like flight information, uh, plus your phone number, your birthday, and other personal information, pretending to be the airline. Yeah, and we we just talked about a lot of tips on that episode a couple uh, a couple back on some things. So, any any tips here to avoid this uh, potential scam? So, here's what they say in the article. Apparently, the scammers. That use like these slightly unusual handles, like yeah. you know, like at dot Southwest Air Nine, right? Instead of at Southwest, yeah, you know, right. it's pretty subtle, right? Right. 
Uh, but you know, it's if you look closely, it's noticeable. But you know, a lot of times you think you're kind of in a panic when there's a change in travel plans. You don't look carefully, right? So security experts suggest simply just going straight to the airline's website, look for the official social media handle, um, or just getting one of those chat sites on the on the website, right? Yeah. As a link for help rather than you know, just re- reacting to a social media post. Oh, for sure. It's amazing what scammers won't try. I mean, as a matter of fact, my mom just asked me one about last week about saying that she thought her Amazon prime had gotten canceled. And I was like, I don't, don't, don't respond to that. Call go to go direct. And then I got the same exact email this week. Ah. Um, so yeah, so definitely something that can be uh, messed up there, but good holiday travel tip. So we'll, we'll put up a link on the article as well for folks if they want to check that out, but let's dive into the year end planning, Don, there's a lot to dig into. So actually, as I said earlier, we're going to dive this into two parts, so let's not dilly-dally. Let's get into it a little bit here. What should we be looking at to start uh, the year-end planning process now that we are firmly on our way to 24? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I can't believe it's almost 2024, right? The old saying is, the days pass so slowly, but the years fly by. Indeed. Which is true. So let's start by taking a big-picture view, right? Large picture, big-picture, high-level view. Planning now, why to do it? particularly with tax, healthcare, and estate planning, along with what occurs in November and December, as well as into 2024. Okay, well, we talked about Medicare open enrollment on the last show. That ends, uh, that ends excuse me, December 7th, so we got a couple more weeks from the time of this podcast. But we also discussed some changes to the Medicare, Medicare premium and Social Security COLA changes for 2024. What else should we be looking at So, from that standpoint? So let's start there, please. Yeah, right. So the, the Social Security COLA, which we spoke about before, is 3.2%. Yeah. Okay. A lot less than last year, right? It was triple that last year. So that kicks in with the uh, January checks, the three to, uh, 3.2% increase. Mm-hmm. Uh, the new Medicare Part B premium for most people will be about $174 a month. So if you're collecting Social Security, that gets deducted right from your check or your deposit. Now, the item some people will get in the mail now in November is this Medicare Part B premium surcharge letter. So if you're paying Medicare premium and if you're a, a higher income earner, you get that letter uh, regarding the extra charge. What confuses people on this, Mark, is that the premium for 2024 is based on income for 2022. Mm. So that's the last tax year that the IRS has on file. Gotcha. That does seem a little confusing. So you get hit with the premium surcharge for 2024 based on your income from two years prior. Uh, that's the income-related monthly adjustment. That's our Aunt Irma we, we joke about, right? There's Uncle Sam and Aunt Irma. <laughs> right. That's the Irma penalty. So you know, keep in mind, if you do get one of these letters, you may be able to challenge it with an appeal. Okay. But there's certain what they call life-changing events. There's a handful of life-changing events, like typically retirement, uh, that someone might be retiring at the end of this year, for example. Mm-hmm. And that might bring down your 2024 income, Right. In that case, you can file what's known as an SSA 44. They they love these forms, right? And the government may lower the premium for next year and just kind of knock it down to the $174 a month that everyone else pays. Gotcha. Okay. Well, we talk a lot about IRA planning. What should investors look at with that for end of year? Yeah, that's really a shift into tax planning market. People need to keep in mind that there's a, a difference between tax planning, right? And tax preparation. Yeah. That's last year. Yeah. 
Yeah. So when you give your CPA or your tax preparer all that information in the beginning of 2024 and they file your tax return in March or April, that's simply tax prep, tax preparation, right? When you decide how much you want to contribute to your 401k maybe or your IRA or convert your Roth IRA or maybe what assets to leave to the family or charity, that's tax planning. And it's kind of what I would call the difference between looking in the rearview mirror or looking through the windshield, right? The tax planning is looking through the windshield and the tax preparation is really you know, basically just accounting for history, looking in the rearview mirror. Yeah, exactly. And, and as a CPA and a CFP, though, I think that's, you know, very cool because you're really doing both, you know, in your role, right? Because you're doing the CPA role, which is kind of that rear view, but you're also doing that CFP role, which is kind of the forward stuff, right? So right. let's get into the IRA and what should uh, folks be thinking about and looking at here? Okay, so getting into that, and that's a good point you bring that up about you know, having the tax background and the CFP, because someone mentioned that yesterday to me saying, how many people really do this? I never really heard of that. Yeah, you're dual wielding, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's uh, called holistic planning, right? right. Not looking at things in one little silo. So getting to your question about IRAs, if you're age 73, right, or you will be by December 31st this year, you need to take money out of your IRA and pay taxes on the withdrawal. The old rule was age 72, right? Right, And the rule before that was that quirky age 70 and a half, which yeah. always confused people. Yeah. So here's another little quirk in the law, the new law. If you're born after 1960, the age for the IRA distribution requirements now age 75. Yep, that will be me. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and me as well. A lot mm-hmm. of people don't realize that. And of course, that's called the RMD or required minimum distribution age. So just to be on the safe side, I suggest that people make sure they they get that all wrapped up and done by the first week of December. Yeah. And don't wait, folks, right? The sooner the better, right, Don? Because the deadline on RMDs is December 31st, right? But let's be honest. I mean, how many places are open the last week anyway of the year, right? So you want to try to do this, be, be, be proactive here. Don't wait. Absolutely. The, don't wait till the last second. Uh, what about the charitable gift option from the IRA? Anything for folks to, to ponder there? Yeah, that's called a qualified charitable distribution mark, the QCD yep. that we talked about uh, in the past. So here's a quirk in that rule. You need to take the required IRA distribution when you turn age 73, as we just discussed. Mm-hmm. But you can make that gift from the IRA directly to the charity at 70 and a half. That's that old Yeah, they coded age. that in. They hard-coded that in, left that there for whatever reason. Yeah, who knows why. I yeah. think it probably was a mistake, right? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> they just overlooked it. So when you turn age 73, the gift to the charity, uh, as a bonus actually, counts toward your IRA's required distribution. And the most you can give is $100,000 a year. And I do want to point out, Don, so because you can do that uh, contribution at 70 and a half, even though you don't have to do your RMDs until 73, you can't, like, I was thinking about this the other day, you can't go, well, cool, I went ahead and paid one at 71 and 72, I'm, I'm back ending, backloading these, or it doesn't work that way, right? It has no, to be done correct. in a calendar year. Yep. And you can't, here's another little quirk in this, if you turn 70 and a half, let's say, in April of a particular year, mm-hmm. you can't make that qualified charitable distribution until after that date. Ah. It can't be, let's say, in February, knowing, ah, I'm going to be 70 and a half by year end. It's right. got to be after your 70 and a half. So 
kind of a strict rule there. Yeah, a couple little caveats for sure. So let's go through an example of this for folks. Let's kind of break it down a little bit more in detail. Okay, so let's say that your your IRA required distribution is $50,000, right? Okay, Not right. too unusual. And you typically give $10,000 to charity. Mm-hmm. Many people will simply like write a check or a series of checks to the charity and it just attempted to add it to their itemized deductions, right? So they don't think too much about it. Right. But here's the opportunity. If you give the $10,000 directly from the IRA to the charity, count toward the $50,000 required distribution. Yeah, satisfying the, a portion of that. That's right. Yeah. And now the balance that you take for yourself only needs to be $40,000, right? Mm-hmm. So you only pay income taxes on that chunk the $40,000 that you took for yourself, the $10,000 is not considered to be a taxable event. Awesome, right? Now, keep in mind, this is where you can kind of double dip here. Mm-hmm. You can still take a standard deduction. Now, for you know, many people, well, for people over 65, it's close to $29,000. In our current tax laws, right. Right. So yeah. you know, something like 90% of people now just take a, a standard deduction they don't itemize yeah we can't get enough to get that high right yeah so if let's say if you're given ten thousand dollars but your itemized deductions total like you know twenty five thousand you're only taking the standard amount anyway mm-hmm. so you lose the deduction for the charity mm. that's the, I mean, to me this seems like a win-win don you know it absolutely is you just keep a couple of things in mind right people can blow this one <laughs> and i've seen you need this a little happen. help right don't wing it yeah now you don't just you know think you could just you know kind of do it on your own without you know either getting help and making sure that you get really good coordination or really know the rules inside and out which most people don't yeah right? yeah so here's a couple of things to keep in mind the check needs to be made to the charity right. from the ira custodian right can't be to cousin larry <laughs> Right. It's got to be a qualified charity. Right. Like a church or, you know, a, a religious institution or animal shelter if they're qualified, whatever. Yeah. Right, Boy yeah. Scouts, Red Cross, Salvation Army, these yeah. kind of qualified charities. You can have the check from the custodian, like, you know, Vanguard, Fidelity, Schwab. Mm-hmm. You can have the check sent to you from the custodian and you can just forward it to the charity with a note. Okay. Um, but you also need to keep the receipt from the charity very important hmm. and provide a copy of that receipt for the tax preparer. Because it came to you, right, versus just going straight. Correct. Okay. And here's a key. Make sure the tax preparer, the CPA, knows that the gift came from the IRA, right? There's no separate 1099 from the custodian to account for the gift. Hmm. You're only going to get one 1099-R. In January, and it'll be in my example for fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, it's not going to be one for ten thousand and one for forty. Yeah, I got you. What do you prefer? Do you prefer folks just to have it just sent right from the custodian to the charity and kind of skip that aspect of it, or is either one fine as long as you cover your bases? You know, it's a good question. I suggest it goes from the custodian to the uh, the individual who's giving the gift. Mm-hmm. This way, they can put it in an envelope, write a little note to the charity. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, often the charity likes that. And then, you know, y- you know, it's getting there. Yeah. Right. OK. So it, that's that's the key. And the charity's got to actually also cash that check before December 31st. It's another little quirk that's in the, the rule. Yeah. Make sure you remind them of that. Exactly. So the earlier, the better. For sure. OK. Well, so that's some good stuff there. Now, what uh, if we're not yet 70 and a half and we, we can't take that? What other things might be uh, on the docket? 
Okay, so in that case, there is a way to to deal with this too. You might want to bunch up the charitable contributions. So here's an example. Let's say you know typically you make ten thousand dollar annual contributions in December every year, mm-hmm. and you know perhaps instead you know just make a, a contribution in January of twenty twenty four. And another one in December of 2024 for a total of twenty thousand dollars for that year, 2024, and just simply take the standard deduction for this year, right? The charity is going to be getting the contribution in a month anyway, right? Mm-hmm. You know, in January instead of December, and then you bunch up the deduction for that one tax year. So you need to look closely at the math. Gotcha. Okay, so let's circle back real quick to the IRA and 401k rules regarding the contribution limits. Okay, so let's talk about that for a second. So the the maximum you can contribute to the 401k in 2023 mark is $22,500. Right. Right. That's yep. if you're under age 50. You can contribute $30,000 if you're over age 50. There's mm-hmm. a, what they call a catch-up contribution addition of $7,500. So, you know, take a look at at this year to see where you are with those total contributions, right? See how much you've contributed. Um, always contribute enough to get the company match if you if you get one if definitely, it's offered definitely and it's best not to really exceed the limit right to go over thirty thousand I mean there's no penalty if you do it's kind of a it's a bit of a pain in the neck there's some options that you have but it's you know best not to go over and, okay. and most people who are in the in the higher income category mark they go for the traditional 401k contribution with a with a tax deduction however, particularly if someone's younger, you know, like a, a a child or grandchild and they have low income, they should really consider the Roth 401k. So that's at some, you know, you have the $22,500 limit. There's no tax deduction on the money going in, but the tax deduction is really not as valuable anyway, since they're really at a low tax bracket, very likely. The money grows completely tax-free. So that's a win-win. You forego the tax deduction, which is not that big a deal typically. But the same thing might be true for an early retiree who wants a, you know, let's say a part-time job or a job to keep busy, may not really need the money and not be at their RMD age yet. Maybe the Roth 401k is a better alternative. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's certainly gaining a lot of ground and popularity as well. So uh, what about the IRA contribution limits, Don? Yeah, that's where it gets a little bit more complicated, Mark, because they're based upon the type of the IRA, whether it's a Roth IRA or a traditional, and the income limits and the marital status kind of come into play in terms of how much you can contribute, right, and get the tax deduction. So mm-hmm. here's the basics. If you're under age 50, there's that age again, right, 50, the contribution limit for the IRA is $6,500, whether it's a Roth or traditional. If you're over age 50, there's a $1,000 catch-up option that brings it up to $7,500 as the contribution limit. Where it gets complicated are the income limits on the contribution. So if you earn too much money, you can't take a traditional IRA tax deduction. And it also hinges on whether you have a retirement plan at work or not. So we could put up a link with all of the the rules on the income limits and, and that sort of thing. But the more generous income uh, is with the Roth IRA contribution. So if you're married, you can make up to $228,000 and contribute to the Roth IRA. And if you're single, it's less. It's $153,000. 
But it's important to note that you can make these contributions, Mark, really up to next April 15th. Past, um, yeah, the, past the that, current calendar year. Correct? Yeah, that's yeah. really, you could do that for, and it still counts toward the 2023 tax year. So there's really no rush for the IRA contribution, unlike the 401k, which has a strict December 31st deadline for this tax year. Um, so, you know, again, the with the 401k, with the um, the Roth 401k, there's no deduction, but the money grows tax-free with the traditional 401k or IRA. There's a tax deduction, but you have to pay the tax when you take the money out eventually, which is age 73. Yep. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, what about conversions of these accounts, right? So we're doing a Roth IRA conversion deadlines on that and uh, planning processes. Yeah. That's another one uh, that people should think about earlier rather than later in terms of December versus November, probably better in, no- in November than December. So it yeah. needs to be done by December 31st. However, as we mentioned earlier, you should really wrap that up. I think ideally by the first week of December, if you can. So you're not pushing it too close to the end of the year. I mean, there's so much paperwork that needs to be done right? and filed with custodians. And believe it or not, in many cases, they're still short of staff and they're definitely backed up with paperwork. Yeah, so, yeah. and thinking about holidays themselves. So, Yeah, a lot of them take vacations and things like that around Christmas times or around New Year's. When it comes to Roth uh, IRA conversions, there's a few other things to consider, a few other nuances, Mark, that people sometimes mess up. And age is a factor. So if you convert your traditional IRA to a Roth IRA, before age 59, you're not going to have full access to the money until five year passes and you're over 59 and a half. Yeah. So that's, right? a, I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of people don't realize that there's been a lot of conversation in, all, in, in, in the industry about, hey, Roth convert, Roth convert, Roth convert. And it may be the right thing for you, but it's got to be money you don't need for five years. Right. And keep in mind that you have to pay the tax on the money when you convert. Sure. Right. So if you're 50 years old or 40 years old, and you convert, let's say, $50,000, for example, and you owe maybe $20,000 or you know $15,000 in income taxes, then you have to have that cash outside of the IRA to pay for the taxes. Yeah, you can't use you it know? from there, right? You could, but it's not ideal. Yeah, gotcha. right? okay. It becomes a Maybe we run into a lot of problems if you do it that way. So if you're over age 73, here's another quirk in the rule. You need to take out your required minimum distribution first, maybe your QCD, your qualified charitable distribution, and then make the Roth IRA conversion. I just had this conversation with a client yesterday. All the money that comes out of the IRA after 73 is first considered RMD. That's an important thing to keep in mind. So the great thing is that after the funds are converted, then all of the growth is 100% tax-free for the rest of your life. And as a bonus, there's no required distribution at age 73 or age 75. Mm. And there's no RMD required distribution when you leave the money to the next generation. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. And for most beneficiaries, they can let that money stay in the account for 10 more years and let it keep on growing tax-free until they take it out. This is the beneficiaries now. Right, right. 
And now it's all tax-free when they take it out. But just to be make, sh- just make sure that when you make that Roth IRA conversion this time of year, you have, you really should be making an additional estimated tax payment for the fourth quarter of this year by January 15th of next year. Okay. And again, make sure that you're talking about this stuff with your financial professional, uh, because there's a lot of obviously moving parts and information in here. And a you know, great thing about podcasts is you can go back and listen to a section again. If you're you know kind of unclear on something or you want to learn more, well, then just reach out to Don. We are going to have some more strategies and things to go over on the next show, but we don't want to go too long on any one episode. So we'll wrap this one up here and we'll get into some other pieces on the next show. We'll start this kind of process a little early to give you plenty of time to check this out before the end of the year. But make sure that you do, again, you do reach out to a qualified professional before you take any action. And Don's here to help. Just give him a jingle. 800-664-1183 is the number to call. 800-664-1183 for a consultation and a conversation. Or stop by the website, donaldcash.com. That is donaldcash.com. Year's winding down and it's coming fast and furious. So being timely is certainly going to help. So reach out today if you've got those questions at donaldcash.com. Don, my friend, thanks for breaking down some of this stuff. Lots of moving parts, as we said, so more to come on the next episode, but I always appreciate you, my friend. Thanks, Mark. We'll catch you next time right here on Your Money and Your Life with Don Cash, CPA and CFP at Donald W. Cash and Associates. Investment advisory services offered through Donald W. Cash & Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the state of New Jersey.